Grace and peace to you from him who was, who is, and who is coming. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is coming, and from the seven spirits that are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood and made us a kingdom and priests to God his Father. To him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, including those who pierced him. And all the nations of the earth will mourn because of him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and who was and who is coming, the Almighty. This is the word of our Lord. When you look through Christian history, some of the earliest depictions of Jesus are mosaics that definitely make him look Jewish or a Middle Easterner. And those are the most accurate, but they didn't have Polaroids back then or digital cameras. We really don't know what Jesus looked like exactly. And if we had a picture of him or a carving, we would end up worshiping it instead of Jesus in our sinful nature. But when you look as time progresses, when you see pictures today of Jesus in America, those with European ancestry tend to paint him with blonde hair, blue eyes, and looking very Anglo-Saxon. Those with African ancestry tend to paint him looking very African. And you know, neither one of those is sinful because he's the savior of all of us. But neither one of them is as accurate as he being a Jewish man who lived in the Middle East. Now, the most famous depiction of Jesus, I think, today in America isn't a painting at all. We make him out to be a sissy, if you will. A man who's desperate for any friend, who will tolerate any sin or do anything with you just if you'll just spend some time with him. The guy who sits in the seat next to you, just happy to have time with you, and lets you run your life down life's rugged highway and doesn't even care enough to tell you, uh, you're going to have a head-on accident driving down this bad road. But the true picture of Jesus, even when we see him on the cross and he prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, while they are torturing him, what they think is to death, even in that picture, Jesus is the king. This is the last Sunday of the church year. And on the last Sunday of the church year, we focus on that last day when every eye will see this is not some sissy. This is not some Jesus buddy. This is the king of all creation. And so our sermon theme for today is Christ is the king of all creation. Our text begins, John to the seven churches, to those in Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is and who was and who is coming and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, the revelation of John is going to address seven churches in Asia. And sadly, only one of them truly is glorifying God the way they should. Only one of them is clinging to the word of God in all of its truth and purity. The other six are failing in one way or the other. And when he talks about the seven spirits, seven is the number of perfection in, in symbolical uh, language of the Bible. And so it could be that, that the Holy Spirit gives the perfect gift to the church, exactly what it needs, Christ's bride. Uh, but it can also be that 
he represents, even those churches that are failing, the seven uh, ones that Christ is going to address pretty soon in, Revela- in the book of Revelation, that it represents that he's still there among them and giving them the gifts to fix those problems as well. But here we actually see the Trinity. We've got the Holy Spirit who's before the throne interceding for Christ's bride. That's you and I, we're members of the true church, the invisible church of all believers. He's giving it the gifts it needs. You obviously have Jesus. He's talking, he's gonna, he appears to John. And you have the Father. And it seems a little confusing then in verse 5 when it says, and from Jesus Christ. Because isn't Jesus the one who was, who is, who was, and who is coming? Well, that's true of the whole Trinity. Now, each person is distinct. The Father's not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. And yet, in a way that defies human understanding, there is only one God. In one essence. And yet... Here we focus on God becoming a man for you and I. And so Jesus, according to his deity, is, was, and always will be. But according to his humanity, he had a beginning when that same Holy Spirit, according to God the Father's plan, knit his humanity in the virgin's womb. Now this defies our understanding. Infinite as to his deity, has a beginning as to his humanity, but his humanity has no end because his deity has been, is in communication with his humanity so that the God-man, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is infinite and truly has no beginning and no end. In fact, when challenged, for example, in the Gospel of John, John records that Jesus says, before Abraham was, not I used to be, but I am, I continue being. So we're told in from Jesus Christ, the witness, the one who is faithful, the one who is the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. See, he's the faithful witness because he's the spokesman of the Trinity. When the apostles asked Jesus to show them the father, he said, I and the father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Again, two different persons, yet one God. And so, uh, and so Jesus is, was, and always will be. And we also add the ruler of the kings of the earth. See, because he's the one, uh, the faithful witness, the, the spokesman of the Trinity, when God spoke the first words of creation, let there be light, that was Jesus. When God spoke to Moses in the burning bush to, to call him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, that was the pre-incarnate Jesus. That's pre-incarnate means before he took on human flesh. And so before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is testifying that he's God and he is the ruler of all creation because he is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made all of this. And even when kings battle against him, trying to destroy Christianity, they're spitting into the wind. They're not gonna win. The devil himself tried that and it ended miserably for him. If we skip ahead to verse 8, we're also told, I myself am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and who was and who is coming, the Almighty. The Alpha and the Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses the first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet to, uh, as God speaks through him. This is God's way of saying, I'm the beginning and the end, although God is infinite and he himself doesn't have a beginning or end. So it's actually God saying, I'm infinite. And he says, the Almighty, the all-powerful one. Again, Jesus is the king of all creation, as is the Father and the Holy Spirit. No one can overpower them, not even death. Death couldn't even overpower Christ. And he went to the cross so that he could defeat the great enemy, the devil, for you and I. 
Certainly atheists, certainly the college professor who uh, tries to convert our children away from the word of God. And others, they, they think they can defeat God or they think he doesn't exist. But the truth of the matter is there will come a time where they're going to say, uh-oh, he was a hidden God. But now I can see he was everywhere. As Jesus refers to himself as the Alpha and the Omega, just to make sure, in Revelation 22, verse 13, Jesus himself clearly is speaking, and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And going back to verse 8, the, the, the Greek word used there, the Lord God, uh, the Lord, curious, is what the, the Hebrew word they would have used, which we pronounce Adonai, but it actually was Yahweh. And that is from the Hebrew verb, I am. Whenever God in the Old Testament uses that name Adonai or Yahweh, he's pointing out that he is, was, and always will be. So Jesus here in, the, in Revelation is very clearly identifying himself as God. He has been and always will be. And that's a comfort for you and I because no one's going to snatch you out of his hands. The only thing that sends a person to hell is indifference as Jesus points out to one of those seven churches, you're neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth and into the flames, or outright rejecting. The ones who truly have love for the Lord come to his word and they're nourished by it, and God keeps them and rules for them. So the only thing that can snatch you out of Jesus, your king's hands, is if you yourself grow cold. You are the only one that can, that can reject Christ. And yet... You have to put up a fight because Christ the King, according to God the Father's plan, has ruled over all creation to bring you into and keep you into your faith. And that name I mentioned, that Hebrew name Adonai, which here is curios in the Greek, curious, um, that emphasizes God's absolute being. He exists in and of himself. So let me tell you why that's important. When, in the early days of my ministry, I served a, a, a big church that was very busy. And there were times after a very busy week, I'd promise my children, uh, I'll be home and, and I'll play that game with you or we'll watch that movie. And I'd get home exhausted. All right, I'm going to keep my promise. And the phone would ring. One of the Lord's sheep is dying in the hospital. Sorry, children. I have to break my promise. It's, it's, it's out of my control. But see, God exists in and of himself. There's nothing out of his, no circumstances out of his control in which he'll have to break his promises to you. And his promise to you when you were baptized is, I'm going to keep you so that the only thing that will send you to hell is if you grow tired of me. Period. If you reject me. And so this is a comfort for you and I. In his covenant of grace, Jesus is ruling over all creation to keep you in his hands. So we see Christ as the king of all creation. He is, has been, Always will be. Then we're told in the second half of verse 5, to the one who loves us and who freed us from our sins in his blood. That tells us how you became a citizen of God's kingdom. You cannot storm the gates of God's kingdom and become a citizen. You can't decide that you want to be a citizen. To use an analogy, suddenly just climbing over the borders of his country and saying, here I am, I get full rights. No. Christ literally had to purchase and win you. Now again, sometimes we think of Christ's love on the cross and think that makes him a sissy who will just tolerate any sin. Oh, it's okay, just as long as he'll give me the time of day. No, Jesus, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, they're all holy. And their holiness means they can have absolutely nothing to do with sin. Their holiness destroys sin. 
You and I were slaves to sin. We were slaves to the devil. And so Christ purchased in one, you and I, with his own blood to wash us clean. He didn't pay the devil. But he made us holy. He sends that Holy Spirit that gives us the faith so that we have the new man who is connected to Christ and is holy. Your citizenship was free to you and me, but it wasn't cheap. He bought you with his blood. And your citizenship means something. It's not of this world. So let's get into that kingdom and see what that looks like. So far, we've seen Christ is the king of all creation. He is, has been, and always will be. And he bought your citizenship into his kingdom. Verse six says, and he made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and father. To him is the glory and the power until the ages of ages. Amen. Now, here's his kingdom. And it's sad. Many Christians take out of Revelation 21, they mistranslate essentially one verse, pull it out of its context, pull it out of the whole context of the revelation of the vision of John. They ignore a whole lot of the rest of the Bible. For example, our gospel lesson where Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And they make his kingdom an earthly kingdom with a location for a thousand years or whatever their interpretation of that is. But Jesus's kingdom, as he makes it clear throughout the scriptures, is his rule in your heart. Christ's kingdom does not have a physical location. It is his bride. It is the invisible church, which is made up of all believers. And as a citizen of that kingdom, as the bride of Christ, you have certain responsibilities. And he made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and father. The best explanation of what that means is really recorded in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood in order to bring spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is his rule in your heart. You literally are the stones, each one of us, that form the temple of God where God dwells. But you're not only the stones that build the temple of the Lord, you're a priest that serves the temple. And the whole point of that service is the glory of God. Not, well, this is what I want. This is what I need. And when I... Look, if I were to look for Pastor Sherman's glory, which is easy as a sinner, I could be like, you need to give all your money to Pastor Sherman. You need to listen to Pastor Sherman because Pastor Sherman's such a great preacher. And you don't want to hear me patting my own ego, do you? <laughs> when God says it's to God's glory, God isn't patting his ego. Because God's glory means he takes you and I who are sinners and gives us his holiness, his blood makes us his children, makes us his holy temple, and we get to serve it. So it's a privilege. And he says that sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, if you committed a sin, you would go to the temple when you bring your sin, your sacrifice. And the first thing the priest did was examine it. No, nope, this is blemished. That will not remove the blemish of your sin. Oh, this is approved. Okay. And then they would take the animal for you and put it on the altar of the Lord. So they were your intercessor. And they would dip uh, the hyssop plant into that animal's blood and splatter it on you and announce, not because of that animal's death, but because of the death of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, 
that your sins were forgiven. And this is what you get to do as a priest. You have the binding and the loosing key. The binding key means you go to your neighbors and your family and you share with them that they need a savior by showing them their sin. Showing them you are unholy and the law of the Lord, the Lord's very holiness damns you to hell. But you also get to use the loosing key. This is why God became a man and lived perfectly in your place. This is why he died and shed his blood for you. This is what we do, and we do it to the glory of God. And notice how Peter calls that sacrifices. Yes, let's admit it. Pastors can be boring. Sometimes it can be a sacrifice just to listen to the entire sermon. It can be a sacrifice when we're exhausted to come to church. It can be a sacrifice instead of screaming, I want the, drive, I want the driveway shoveled and, and the sidewalk shoveled to be the one who says, so that others aren't injured, I will come and give that sacrifice. And yes, when we give an offering so that we ourselves get to enjoy a warm, heated building and that, that's a sacrifice of our time and our gifts. But they, and, and we always have our sin because we always have our selfishness attached with that. But Christ washes it clean and makes that acceptable. So what does your citizenship look like? It looks like you serve to God's glory. Just as, as I'm always happy to stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance and be grateful to live in a country where I still can, can speak from this pulpit without fear of the government arresting me. But it's even more important for me to tell you about your citizenship to God's glory, that we are free from our sins, forgiven and have eternal life from the one who rose from the grave so that you and I can rise from the grave. So Christ is the king of all creation. He is, has been and always will be. We see he bought your citizenship, made you a member of his kingdom, and we see what your citizenship looks like. You're a priest who uses the keys and you get to give sacrifices that Christ makes acceptable. In verse 7, we're told, pay very close attention. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even such ones who pierced him. And all the nations of the earth will beat themselves in mourning over him. Yes, indeed. Amen. Again, the very people who plotted the murder of Jesus, and he actually gave his own life, uh, but they plotted the murder. They thought they were murdering him. If they never came to faith and if they didn't, it's their own fault. On the day of the resurrection, they will be risen out of hell, reunited with their sinful body and go, oh boy, I have only myself to blame. The person who was lukewarm, oh, it's just too hard to come hear the word. It's just too boring. Oh, I just got other things to do. Maybe later they will stand in their body and go, uh-oh. I did not let him be the king of all creation. I rejected his rule in my life. But for you and I who are believers, who come to the word, because his Holy Spirit draws us, because he's given us that new man united to us, Judgment Day will say, there's my king. I'm going to get the glorified body and the new heavens and the new earth free from sin. His reign will not be denied. Kings of this earth today and rulers who try to stomp out Christianity because they hate the Lord, they will stand and say, uh-oh, he was more powerful than I realized. He was ruling behind the scenes, but now I know he's the king. And it's a comfort for you and I. They'll never be able to dethrone him. That's what the devil thought when he first rebelled. That's what the devil thought when he possessed Judas, who was very willing to say, let's kill this guy and get him out of the way. And then he went, uh-oh, that's how he paid for everybody's sins and won them. His reign will not be denied. You will never be snatched from his hand. He is ruling over all creation for you. 
So on this last Sunday of the church year, we recognize Jesus is not some powerless kind of wimpy guy. Uh Uh-uh. Christ is the king of all creation. He is, has been, and always will be. He bought your citizenship. So you are privileged to be a citizen of his kingdom, his temple, his bride, the invisible church, which will be made visible when he returns. We see what your citizenship looks like. You are blessed to be able to participate. And he makes your participation clean because you and I have a sinful nature and his reign will not be denied. You will have that glorified kingdom when he returns forever, forever in his paradise. Amen. Now to the king eternal, to, it, to the immortal, invisible, only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.